The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! And welcome back to another edition of the Weekly Harvest Podcast. My name is Falco. He's Crow, uh, voice of the Wheat Kings. Now, we are live once again. Big thanks to everybody who's tuning on in. Here we go, live with a couple of guys who are not even in the country, and we're going to talk to that. We have got Zach Whitecloud of the Vegas Golden Knights, and we got Dan Duva, the voice of the Golden Knights. Guys, thanks for joining us here tonight. How's it going? Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, Zach, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to both of you, but we'll tee up you first, Zach. What have you been doing? I, I saw on your Snapchat you were swinging the sticks a little bit here the last couple of days, but it's been a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks, good long weeks into the months now. What have you been doing to kill time? Uh, just like you said, just trying to get out and um, obviously a lot of resources around Las Vegas. You can go hiking, you can go biking, you can obviously play the links. And, and I think the golf courses were shut down there for about three weeks, so... I uh, wasn't able to do that, but now that they're back open, I've been playing almost every day. So uh, just trying to get outside as much as possible, try and see uh, a variety of things and, and play as many courses as I can and um, play a little Xbox here and there. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's about it. How about you, Dan? Dan? Well, first of all, I, I want to know how, without a Manitoba connection, I found my way onto this podcast. As if there's not enough... <laughs> Brandon Wheat King connections to uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights, let alone Manitoba. You got, you know, just, you know, Shane Knighting from Nipawa. <laughs> Darren Millard, of course. I have to apologize, Zach, and, and everybody else. I think Darren Millard could be my favorite former Wheat King. Uh, so, um, I, you know, I think that that's been part of it is doing some of the broadcasts and doing podcasts like this one interviews and doing some writing i think that that has at least for me get me sane to uh, to an extent um just to have something to talk about try to connect with people and, and you guys know it it's um you know trying to to satiate that appetite that we all have for sports and keep the conversation going that's been most of it i have attempted successfully uh a baking banana bread with chocolate chips <laughs> i've done that a few times and you know i've got this uh this I don't know what to call it. I, I might call it a treasure trove. Uh, some other people might just call it a pile of junk, but I have all these old tapes from my high school broadcasting days that I've been trying to digitize. Not that anybody would uh, have much interest in watching them besides me and maybe some of my friends, but here they are. The VHS tapes need to be brought into the 21st century, I guess. Can, can you actually watch those old videos of you doing that stuff? Because I got my old broadcasting tapes my mom gave me. It has never been watched. I, I remember making them. I don't want to relive it. I can just imagine. Oh, n- no, it's 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 cringeworthy. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know about about just, you know, like playing sports. It's it's almost like you can adjust. You know, you could watch a high school hockey game. And say, oh, that guy's pretty good. But also, no, there's not a chance that guy's ever going to play in the NHL. Well, I listen to some of these hockey tapes and think, how did this person make ever broadcast in college, let alone professionally or in the NHL. Uh, but I think it's just a reminder that we all have room to grow, even if we are doing this at, at a pretty high level. Um, there's there's always room to improve it. We know Zach is a student of the game. Like I've got stories about Zach that I'm sure you guys could support, you know, being a, a student of the game, always learning. 
um, as athletes do that, coaches do that, and of course we as broadcasters too. You know, Zach, uh, one of the funny stories that we talk about on our broadcast every once in a while when, you know, what, like, for example, the night you made your debut in Edmonton or, you know, your first point, that sort of thing, uh, is the Pete Gerlinger, my color guy, who was the coach of, you know, the Crocus Plains high school team in Brandon. He always made the joke. He said, you know what? I, I don't know how Zach did it because the last thing I remember about Zach was that he was this pudgy little kid that just skated around with his hands like this, moving back and forth, pudgy little kid. Nobody ever gave you really any thought that you were going to turn into something. And all of a sudden he said one day he was at a Verdon Portage game and boom, there you were. You were six foot, some tall. You were all thinned out. You had a, a kind well, of a chiseled jawline. And he's like, what happened? What, when did that switch flip for you going from the pudgy little kid in Brandon house league to a guy that had a real shot? Yeah, that's funny. I have a, I, I have a ton of respect for Pete. He, you know, he's a, a very well-known person in Brandon and a very loved person in Brandon too, being connected to the Weekings and, uh, you know, helping a lot of guys through high school hockey and then being a part of the Crocus Plainsman too. I, I always ba- battled with them when I played high school for one year there. And uh, no, I think I still am that, that pudgy little kid, you know, I like ice cream here and there and uh, kind of go back to <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I think the flip or the the switch kind of flipped when uh, I had gone into my last year of AAA midget. Um, I think Kenny Kenny Schneider and uh, Laverne Popple, Tyson Ramsey, and all those all those guys were coaching then. And um, you know we had a an incredible group. We had James Shear, a former Weeking captain, Jordy Stallard, um, you know the Caspics. Uh, Mitch Lyle, Troy Haywood, you know, we had a ton of guys that, you know, went on to have good hockey careers, whether it was in, you know, university, college, or, or whether it be senior or, or, or uh, you know, going to just be successful in society. Right. And um, that year I going in, I had thought about quitting hockey. Um, and I had this conversation, you know, with my mom and I, I was ready to be done. I was ready to, you know, go to university or just play another year of high school hockey after, cause I had moved to central plains to play triple A. I uh, had a year there and my parents drove me, you know, an hour each way four or five times a week, just, you know, just to get on the ice and play at a high level in Manitoba. Right. So they made those sacrifices day in and day out for me to do that. At the end of the day, for me to quit going into that last year just wasn't acceptable. And, you know, whether it was right in my mind or not, it was, it wasn't right for me to not give a shot due to what, you know, what the, the amount of effort that was put in by, you know, my parents and my grandma and my auntie, you know, that went into, um, you know, driving me, feeding me, doing all those things, hotels and, and all those sorts of things. And um, that year I had a good year. I got picked up by Verdon, by the Leslie brothers and, you know, Crow knows them. And um, they gave me a chance in Verdon. And then I kind of um, actually that. So after AAA, I was about 238 pounds, somewhere along there. I was a big Whoa. kid. And, yeah, I was a big boy. That's a and, unit. Uh, yeah. Oof. I think Ryan um, Reeves weighs in at uh, 225, just for the record there. Nice yeah. yeah yeah thank you um so then i that summer i dropped down to 195 i think i put off about 46 pounds in one summer i was uh doing crossfit all summer with james Shear um over at power play crossfit on the uh, east side of brandon and i was going six days a week and 
you know, dialed my diet in and, and tried to, uh, you know, kind of slim down just so I could move on the ice. And I knew if, you know, if I kept that weight on, I wasn't going to end up playing junior hockey. And that was just cold, hard facts. And, um, you know, it wasn't anyone telling me what to do. It was kind of just in my own brain that, you know, I wanted to play junior hockey and, and move on to the next level and just kind of see what I could do. And, um, you know, kind of put my, uh, my brain to work a little bit, my body and just, uh, slim down. And then it, it kind of all started from there really. And, uh, the one big part too, is that like working out with James Shear kind of helped me a lot too. Cause you know, he's, um, uh, I think it's an understatement to call that kid a machine. Um, if anyone's, I don't know if you've seen him work out or, you know, play hockey, it's, it's incredible. You know, he's five, five, 10, five, 11, and he can out muscle any guy on the ice. And, um, whether you attribute that to low center of gravity or him just being an absolute machine, he works out, you know, continuously. And the way he trained was the way I needed to train in order to, you know, kind of put myself in a position to go on and further my career in junior hockey and further on. And, um, so working out with him really helped me a lot. And then I made it to Burton and then had a good first year. And then, uh, colleges started, you know, coming around in the second year and, um, made my way to Bemidji State. And then it was kind of, figuring my way out from there. I'm still looking for that motivation, Zach. I think you left it in Verdon somewhere. I'm trying to find it. I haven't been able to get into the gym and follow the Zach Whitecloud workout plan. Hey, quite you slimmed down, you you. Slim down quite a bit since our days in Verdon though. Yeah. You know what? I, I had no choice. <laughs> I, I, uh, I met uh, a lovely little lady there who was, uh, as you know, very into fitness and uh, I had no choice. I couldn't keep up with her, but uh, you know, Dan, you talked about your path and it's obviously different for broadcasters, but you're a guy from, I believe, New Jersey, or at least the Eastern part of the U S to right. now find yourself country. Yep. You got it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to find yourself in the desert via Syracuse, I mean, when you went to college, was that always your hope or was this kind of you were going for a business degree and got a shot? How did that all develop? (laughs) Well, no, I I actually envisioned that they would put an NHL team in Las Vegas and I knew that that's where I wanted (laughs) to go. Yeah, Uh, no, not at all. I I was, um, let's see, eight or nine years old when the Devils lost to the Rangers and Stefan Metzo and that just uh, crushed my childhood and then the lockout happened and so the Devils couldn't start playing again until um, you know it, it was middle of the winter it was after Christmas that they started playing and then they won the Stanley Cup in 95 and as a Devils fan you hear Mike Emmerich doing the games on Fox in the United States the championship to New Jersey the Devils win the Stanley Cup and then they won it again in 2000 and in 2003. And I was, you know, living in New Jersey. I was in high school when they won their last couple of cups. And uh, I was not going to be an athlete after high school. I, I was a pretty decent baseball player on a very good high school baseball team. And my dad had played baseball in college. I've got a brother who played football in college. And I had teammates who played Division One sports in the States. But that wasn't going to be for me. You're, you don't see my full height right now, but I've been five foot seven since I was about 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> Um, thankfully, uh, as the voice has improved, the height, uh, was not going to. So yeah, I, I broadcast high school football. In fact, my second high school hockey broadcast, I interviewed Robbie Fatorik, who was then head coach of the devils and whose son was playing against one of our, uh, it was his son was playing for West Essex high school. And I went to Richwood high school. So we interviewed the head coach of the devils and we grilled him. How come Brodor didn't start on back-to-back nights? Well, we were right. They fired Fatorik with eight games to go in the regular season, despite leading the Eastern conference, Larry Robinson took over and the devils won the Stanley cup in 2000. 
I digress. But uh, yeah, sports broadcasting for me, as you can tell, until the producer says time for a break, I just keep on talking. And uh, so Syracuse was a great place for, for me to, uh, to uh, you know, kind of pursue that. Um, you know, broadcasters like Bob Costas and Marv Albert and Marty Glickman and Dick Stockton and Mike Tirico and Sean McDonough, long list of guys have gone through Syracuse. So I started there and then Fordham University in New York City, worked for the New Jersey Devils organization and the ECHL. That was great to be part of my hometown team organization. Lou Lamarillo literally signed the paychecks. And then to go back to Syracuse as a professional uh, with the Syracuse Crunch, the American League, the affiliate of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and was there in Syracuse for five years. And um, then the, the, the NHL came calling when uh, Bill Foley brought hockey to the desert, as you said. But, I, I you know, hockey, I've always loved hockey. I, I played baseball. I broadcast baseball in the Cape Cod League. It's a great summer league for college players. So uh, there's there's not a sport uh, or not too many sports that I haven't at least attempted to do the play-by-play for, but I love hockey. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've continued doing other sports. Hockey is the number one sport. and They keep giving me hockey jobs, so I just keep on taking them. What do you think the number one weirdest sport to you that you've been asked to cover is? Because quick side story, a number of years ago, Back in my radio days, I was asked to become the voice of the pony chuck wagon races. I did that for three <laughs> years, and I grew into like, actually loving it. Like I learned wow. you know, the drivers. They're great people. But anyway, it was a blast. But along your way, was there anything that was out of the box that you didn't think you're going to be covering that you were asked to do? Yeah, you know, I, I would say in terms of different sports, I'd say gymnastics was one I, I was totally unprepared for. You know, wrestling is a bit strange. So. And, and these are things that you like, how do you do the play by play of these things? And, and the, the answer is you don't. You just defer to the analyst. That's the way to go. And I think that some other like odd you know, it's not even the sport. It's just like the approach to the broadcast. Like I just came across one of these tapes that I, I have from high school and <laughs> there was a charity roller hockey tournament. And I was like, so <laughs> it was like for in arena entertainment, we had someone doing kind of the play by play over the loudspeaker, but I was doing sort of the color commentary while officiating the game. I was on skates skating around kind of calling penalties with a live microphone and that was again something that you can't really prepare for it was it was a show more than it was a broadcast but man there there have been a lot of crazy things that uh that we've uh, at least attempted to do and i think that if we're trying to you know make it informative and make it entertaining that it it'll come off reasonably well well, hopefully with the big arena in Vegas, they can attract a, a big curling event and Dan yeah. can get a shot at yeah. Canada's now other that's national That's one I sport. have not done, and I enjoy watch. I, I enjoy watching curling, and I, I'd have to brush up on, on the finer points and some of the rules, but that is a sport that I have yet to attempt, so there, that's a good one. The, the Continental Cup it used to go to Vegas for a number of years in a row, yeah. so if it comes back again, that just might be your shot right there. There you go. I've, I've got to look out for that. Absolutely. So speaking of the, of the building in Vegas, I mean, from the broadcaster's perspective and Zach from the player's perspective, it already has a legendary reputation. Yes. Hi, hi that's, my, that's just my kid <laughs> that's in the background. The leader of our fan club. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about him. Uh, so uh, the, the building has already been legendary in terms of the atmosphere that it brings. Can you guys just kind of talk to that in both, like I said, from the broadcaster's perspective and from the player perspective? Go ahead, Zach, because I, I get to kind of look down upon it, but you're right in the middle of it. I'd be interested in what you have to say, too. Are you more so talking about the environment in T-Mobile? 
Yeah, just, just like, you know, because I mean, I always kind of talk about like when we go on the radio to hype up our games, we talk about how like they're, they're junior players about how when they come out, they feed off of that crowd atmosphere. Like if there's that buzz, if there's that, the, that electricity. And I know that sometimes in the pros, those guys say that they can kind of push that aside or you kind of get used to the noise. But there's something about Vegas and it seems the atmosphere and just the game style that it must be incredible to be a part of it on one side and it must be very intimidating to be coming at it from the other side. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Dan can attest to it. He's, he's been there right from the get go. The, uh, the atmosphere hasn't changed, you know, from, from year one to now. Right. And it, uh, every night our crowd shows up, you know, just as much as we do. And, and I think we feed off of each other. Right. Um, funny story. My, I think it was my second game at T-Mobile. You know how we skate out of the helmet? Um, so I stepped onto the ice and I toe-picked and I fell. <laughs> and uh, and no no camera, no camera got it. Like, no, it was Lucky. never seen. Yeah, it was huge. That would have been... Only in our uh, minds, Jack. Ask Joel Edmondson a- how that feels. He's been living <laughs> that one down forever since he bailed in Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Hey, any publicity is good publicity. Um <laughs> No, it's, it's just different. You know what I mean? Like when we, so when we go on the road, you, you can tell, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just different than, I guess the easiest way to say it is nothing is like T-Mobile. And, you know, when we go out there and for the Anthem, you know, it's, it's a, it's a build up the entire way. And when we're standing in the tunnel in the dressing room, you can, you can hear the building shake, you know, when we're about to walk out and uh, you know, that crowd's ready. They're expecting, um, you know, a good performance, right? And that's what we want to do is we want to perform for them every night and, and make sure that their experience is uh, the best that they can walk away from and, and they can leave that building and say, wow, you know what I mean? And, and whether they've been to a game before or not and whether you're coming for the atmosphere, you're coming for the hockey, you want to leave uh, in a positive mindset, right? Um, so, no, I think at the end of the day, we both, both the crowd and the players feed off of each other and um, it makes for a fun, you know, a fun time playing hockey. And the broadcasters do too, to the extent that just uh, the one clip that I, I hear quite a bit is when the Knights won game one of the Stanley Cup final and Tomasz Nosek scores into an empty net to seal the win. Even the audio recording, you can just barely hear me say score when the puck goes in. And there are a few factors that go into this, guys. First of all, um, it, you know, it starts with the organization, the people that Bill Foley put in place. And we know George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, but even down to the folks who are uh, in charge of the, the game presentation, the entertainment and all of the elements, all of the people that go into that. Uh, there was so much planning, months and months going into the first game in Golden Knights history. And as we know, there was quite the tragedy. Uh, that occurred just before that first home game. So they had to change everything. And I think that the the fans recognized what the organization was doing, the, the business side, the hockey side, which, of course, had put a great team together and had won a couple of really exciting games. And the fans finally felt legitimized. Las Vegas had never had a major league team before, even though it has been this center of sports, whether it's for tournaments or boxing events minor league teams they've never had their own major league sport but they have over two million people who live here it's a very large market and this was a way to legitimize it and and here was a way they could prove it that bill foley was right to to bring the the team here and the crowd just it's a constant buzz and the other element that i think that that keeps the crowd going not only because the crowd wants to show its support for the team 
you're always going to have those folks coming to visit to support the other team. And it creates almost like a soccer environment. Well, the visiting fans, a couple of thousand of those folks are going to make some noise. Well, the Golden Knights fans are not going to be drowned out. So they bark back and it's sort of a back and forth. And it, it seems like every game at T-Mobile Arena, regular season or not, feels like a playoff game at many other arenas. There's just a constant buzz. And, and some markets are more discerning. Um, I, Gary Lawless, uh, my broadcast partner, will say, like in Montreal, he was a Canadians fan growing up, you've got 20,000 coaches in the building. They'll applaud if you do well, but if you don't do well, they're not buzzing. <laughs> at T-Mobile Arena, there's this constant buzz. And I think the other really neat thing, and, and I, I hope that uh, many of your listeners have the opportunity to come see T-Mobile Arena in person, even if you're not rooting for the Golden Knights, because after games – the, the visiting fans mingle with the Golden Knights fans. And I would say 99% of those interactions are very positive. Hey, thanks for coming to Vegas. We hope you had a good time. Come back soon. And then those visiting fans were like, well, yeah, thanks. We hope you do well. Like, we're going to root for our for our team. But, you know, if we're not playing you guys, we're rooting for the Golden Knights. Go get them. Like, I just love that. There's just a, a real passion for this sport. And I'll sum it up by saying this. Max Pacioretty, of course, former captain of the Canadians, was not here for the first season, but when he was acquired going into season two, at his press conference, he said the people in Las Vegas first fell in love with the Golden Knights. Then they fell in love with hockey. It was the players, the organization that really won over the community. And then it's like, wow, hockey is really really an awesome sport the golden knights have to play this incredible brand of, of uh, high-paced hockey so much skill and um you know it's just a terrific team and, and i think that people just love it even more because uh, it's this great mix of great people zach included of course and and just a terrific community for the sport I think I've gotten in trouble for this a couple of times because, you know, where we are in Brandon, we're, we're 200 kilometers up the road from Winnipeg, Jets country. And, well, you know, when they came back and I mean, I'm guilty of it. I mean, my first word as a child was Timu because of the original <laughs> Jets with Timu. And, and that's not a lie. My mom was here this weekend and and I've got his jersey hanging in my wow. display case. It's it's not up behind me, but it's in one just down the hall, much to the chagrin of my wife and her decorating skills. But, um, you know, the Jets fans are, are a big part of this, but for whatever reason, whether it be the same type of, you know, people that were on the fence about having a team once the Jets left and then Vegas comes back and the, the amazing story and the players and the connections to Brandon, I argue every day that Brandon is slowly becoming a Vegas Golden Knights city. Me included. I've got, uh, you know, I'm a fan of the Golden Knights. Obviously, I'm a fan of Zach, but with all the connections, you know, between Brandon Ryan Reeves is one of my favorite Wheat Kings growing up. I've got, you know, a Vegas jersey hanging up in this room, too. But, but you know, Brandon seems to have jumped on the, the same Vegas bandwagon. And maybe it's because travel is easy to get there from Brandon. A lot of people go there on weekends. But that leads me to this question for you, Zach. I know you'd gone to L.A. Kings development camp prior to signing with Vegas. Now, your family has a long history with the Wheat Kings, and, and we'll touch on that a little later. But what was the major factor in, say, you know, I don't know if they offered you a contract or not, but choosing Vegas over, say, L.A. or, or any other options you may have had? Yeah, so that process was a journey. And uh, right after we had lost our college season, uh, I think we lost out in the second round to Michigan Tech. I think it was two days later, I, uh, my agent is from uh, Brainerd, Minnesota. So I drove down there. It's about two hours south of Bemidji, just kind of halfway to uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. 
and I spent the week with him and um, we went into his uh, hockey camp uh, site that's in Brainerd and it's known as Minnesota Hockey Camps and it's very you know very famous it's a large campus you know for a lot of kids to come to it and train there and uh, I spent the week with him we were on the phone with you know multiple teams GMs and and uh, you know different groups and uh, just kind of narrowing down our list and um, just kind of hearing what teams had to say right and you know what I what they thought I could provide for their team at some point, you know, obviously not in the, um, the, the near future, but in the long run. So, um, no, and then we kept, we kept, uh, narrowing it down and further and further. And, um, I'd kept FaceTiming my parents, you know, this is kind of what's happening. And, you know, these, this team's out, this team's in sort of deal. And, um, and then we kind of, you know, we narrowed it down to, you know, four options or whatever, whatever, however many options. And, I went with Vegas because they outlined a plan for me that I knew I could accomplish. Um, they lined out that I could go through this process and have a chance at playing in the National Hockey League. It wasn't going to happen overnight. And nothing in my life ever happened overnight. Playing junior hockey didn't happen overnight. Playing college hockey didn't happen overnight. And playing in the American Hockey League didn't happen overnight. Those things take time. And one of the big things that I took from my, my current D coach right now, uh, Mike, or, uh, Ryan McGill. Um, he told me, he said, look, you can't, you can't get to step four without going through one. You can't just jump through. You know what I mean? You have to go one, two, three, four. And that really resonated with me. And that I went back to the American league that, um, so that was after I signed my first year. So at the end of the year with the team, and then I went to the American league the next season out of camp. And that's kind of how, that's what I left with. And I said, or that's, that's what resonated with me again, is that you have to go through the certain steps in order to, you know, become a full-time NHL because that stuff takes time. Yeah. It happens quick for some players, not a lot of guys, but it does happen. But, you know, for guys like me who don't develop that quick um, or, you know, take time and especially for defensemen too, that's a tough position to learn. And, and especially, you know, come in and play at the National Hockey League level. You have to, you have to learn a lot of things and, and kind of learn how to play and defend and, and do certain things, right? And and then furthermore, learn how to be a pro. Um, so that's what I took with me, and I went down there. And I think I worked harder that year than I I, I ever have, and I was I I still am. I'm, I'm I pride myself on being motivated. I pride myself on doing the right things every day, whether it's at the rink or away from the rink with family with friends. Um, I try to do the right thing at all times and that's kind of what what has helped me uh through this whole process and so when I go back to it you know what why did I pick Vegas was I was comfortable with the conversations we had they outlined a plan for me that I had um faith in that I could go in I could I could do my work and I could get through that process and give myself the best chance of playing in the National Hockey League and they told me what I could do for their team. And I believed it. I still believe it. And, you know, I just want to come in, um, you know, after all those years of developing and, and just contribute on a nightly basis if, if, I, if, I, if I'm given that opportunity, right? So, um, no, I mean, the whole process is they can lay out a plan for you, but it's, it's up to you. You know what I mean? They can, they can tell you, hey, look, you're going to have to go through this and this and this, but that doesn't happen if you're not willing to work and pay attention to detail, be coachable. And, and go to the American League and, and make sure that you look after, first of all, your teammates and, you know, help the team uh, succeed. And, um, you know, that AHL run that we had last year, we can get into later. But, um, you know, you go there, you help your teammates, you be a good teammate, you learn how to be a pro. Um, and then all those individual successes will, you know, take care of themselves at some point.
I got to say, Dan, I mean, maybe it's because I'm kind of a closet Vegas fan. I mean, I try not to, you know, root too a much. A closet I mean, Vegas I, fan? Come on. Okay. You're just talking actually, about having multiple jerseys and logos yeah, throughout okay. the house. I'm a bit of a fan. He's the I, one right beside, like, right behind Zach's dad. I think Crow's leading the bandwagon in Westman, <laughs> so. He doesn't have hey, a white cloud jersey. I don't have, I don't have a white cloud jersey yet, though. No, yeah. uh, that now that you've signed that new contract, and I know you're going to be there. Maybe I can go to Source for Sports and put it on. But you know, following the team and, and the social media and stuff, you know, they're one of the teams I follow the most closely. And Dan, obviously, you and your broadcast team, including former Weeking broadcaster Darren Millard, uh, Nipawa guy, and Shane Knighty, Gary Lawless, a guy who fans and brand are familiar with reading his stuff. You know, and then of course, you know, Stormy and, and everybody else. You know, Dave and and the whole crew. You guys seem to have like this kind of full house type connection where you're not really related, but you guys all just get along so well and you're doing all these things, you know, comparative to, to most teams you follow the broadcast crew, whether it be TV, radio, writing, print, whatever, you guys all just seem to just click. Like it's a family almost. Is that well, an accurate statement? I think that's right. That's a very kind of you. I appreciate that. You, the, you can be John Stamos if you want. The full house. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell that to somebody high up with the Golden Knights because that's a great, <laughs> great description. I, I like it. And I, I think that part of it is the organization made a conscious decision to make all of the talent um, uh, Golden Knights employees. Whereas in a number of markets, you might have, you know, for instance, in Boston, where Dave Gosher came from, Dave worked for the radio station. He didn't work for the Bruins. Right. He worked for the sports hub. You know, Shane Knighty, when he was covering, you know, the, the Jets, he didn't work directly for the Winnipeg Jets. He worked for TSN. Gary Lawless worked for TSN. So um, right. in, 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 the, in, in junior hockey or in, in minor leagues, it's more common for a, a broadcaster to work for the team. But usually, you know, you're a broadcast department of one, you know, it's, I was the only broadcaster when I was in Syracuse, the only broadcaster when I was in Trenton, but the golden Knights have created this staff and you listed everybody. I think we have seven or eight people um, who all are employed by the team. So while I might be on the radio for the games, I might also be doing a podcast with Dave and Shane, or we might be doing a, a video report in the studio with Mike McKenna and Darren Millard. And it just fosters this uh, support for each other, which uh, I, I appreciate that you recognize that because the whole idea is we want people to watch and, and listen and read. And if people get the sense that we're having a good time doing it, which we are, uh, that they might have a good time following along. Right. And that's that's really what this is all about. There is, of course, the professionalism, the journalistic quality that goes into it. But we are trying to enjoy this sport. I, I do this because I love it. Um, and, you know, I, I said to our, our Spanish play-by-play announcer, whose name is Jesus Lopez, who had done some soccer and he's from Mexico and didn't have too much exposure to hockey. And I was giving him some advice when we first met a few years ago. And I could see I was being a little too technical. He, it was, oh, no. I could see in his eyes he was not quite ready for this. I said, Jesus, don't worry. It all comes down to one thing. So thank God. Said, can they hear the smile in your voice? And if anybody has listened to Jesus Lopez, is good. You know, he has this whole description, and I don't speak Spanish, but 
he has this description of uh, guys battling in the corner for the puck that translates roughly to something like they're making salsa in the corner. And it's just, you can hear in his descriptions and in his delivery, how much he loves doing what he does. And I appreciate you, you recognizing that Brandon, because we love what we do. Um, and for the most part, you know, we, we enjoy working with each other. Uh, and, and the organization has done a great job of uh, putting us in a position to succeed. And, and Zach can tell you, you know, I, I get to chat with, you know, the coaches and players whenever it's convenient for me and for them. And, um, you know, I, I could still remember when Zach showed up in Buffalo uh, shortly after having signed his first contract. It wasn't going to be in the lineup that day, but uh, I wanted to get him on the radio. So uh, we you know, talked with the right folks. And, you know, Zach came into the booth and, and we arranged for an interview later on. But while he was in the booth, Zach asked me for paper and pencil because he wanted to take notes on the game. And Zach, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you told me not too long ago you still have those notes. Is that right? Yeah, they're in my uh, in my suitcase in my bedroom. There you go. So I, I love that, and, and I, I it's so important for me as a broadcaster to tell stories. That's helps me. Um, you know, I want to know the stories because it helps me get to know the athletes, the coaches, and then to share that with the listener because the listener wants to know who are those guys, and uh, that's very important to me and. Uh, just a number of stories that I've amassed that I, you know, <laughs> maybe I should write down or something, but from the minor leagues in, in Trenton and then in the American League in Syracuse and, of course, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, and even last year, you know, Zach mentioned that the run to the Calder Cup final last year, um, the Golden Knights, as you may recall, were knocked out earlier than planned. So uh, we actually went down to San Diego, some of us. We broadcast a Western Conference final game, whatever it was, against San Diego. And I happen to know a few of the guys on that team personally. Ty McGinn, for instance, uh, he and I were in Syracuse together. And so it was just neat to kind of reconnect with guys from that level in the American League and just the stories um, that you share. And and I'm I'm sure you guys can think of stories from, you know, just this past season of hockey or maybe a story from five years ago or a bus ride or, you know, a, a dinner or whatever it is. We just got so many stories and that's what makes what we do all the more special and like crow was saying like you guys not only have the great staff for it but when it comes to that new video set i know you do a lot of radio work but when you get to do any kind of that that video set that's like top-notch national broadcast kind of stuff coming out of a vegas golden Knights. so i think that that team might set some precedents as well for other teams to follow suit yeah and in its vision for the organization you've got people who see you know the, the direction of uh, and the tendencies the the projections of what um, sports media will be and um investing in it and i mentioned earlier the the uh, the game presentation at t-mobile arena a lot of the same people who are involved in making that experience so incredible are also involved behind the scenes with the golden knights organization helping to put together some of that video product there is a great investment i mean you walk into the golden knights facilities it looks like you're walking into the studios of tsn or espn or you know a major network that's covering sports they've got these edit bays and huge screens and it looks like they could fly the starship enterprise at some <laughs> of these offices but that's the the kind of investment that um, that Bill Foley has made in this organization. He wasn't going to just do it, uh, you know, as a hobby or, you know, just kind of, oh, this would be a fun toy to play with a pro sports team. He's done everything the right way, put people in the right places. And those people, when asked, hey, what's the right way to do something? 
go for it. And it's just neat to see, uh, you know, that we have a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, but that diversity, I think, has made us strong as an organization. So people will throw out an idea and, and then we'll, rather than saying, oh no, that could be hard, the, the mentality is more like, hey, let's give it a shot. Let's see if that works. And they go out and do it. I'm just glad that when we were trying to fill content that Chris didn't say, hey, Crow, we need you to do a Brandon Weeking daily fitness update. Like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> Shane goodness. is qualified for that. Some of yeah. us broadcasters are not. I sent no. that email to a few players. I thought I would leave you off that chain. <laughs> thank, thank God. Uh, you talked about diversity, but one common denominator in Vegas, obviously right from the general manager uh, and then Von Carpen and Bobby Lowe's in the scouting department to the first signing at Reed Duke to Mark Stone to Ryan Reeves to, of course, Zach's connection. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this, Dan, but growing up, Zach, uh, his house was full of Brandon Wheat Kings uh, from time to time as his mom, uh, who is... I don't even know if there's. I would a like us to, to try and go through the list, Zach. Yeah, like, like yeah. how how many Wheat Kings did you guys build it while you were growing up? Uh, I think we started when I was three or four. Um, there were a couple of years where my parents took breaks just because I was starting to get into higher level hockey and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then my mom got bored, and then you know we picked up another one, and I think we went through. I have to ask my mom for sure. I want to say no less than seven, seven yeah. or eight. Now, without offending and missing anybody, what are some names that kind of pop up that, that you remember having in the house growing up then that were a big influence on you? Uh, it wasn't so much, you know, guys that lived with us. It was guys that came through the organization. You know what I mean? Like the two off the top of my head, Mike Furland and Jordan Tutu, you know, those are two guys that I resonate with uh, closely. And I, I, you know, I've trained with Toots. I've trained, I train with Mike every summer and, um, obviously them being Aboriginal from Canada, those, those two guys kind of really, you know, set the way for a lot of us younger Aboriginal kids just to kind of look up to and realize that, you know, obviously two different paths, you know, Mike has a different path from Jordan and, you know, Jordan came from, you know, up North in Nunavut and, um, you know, Fur came from, I'd say like mid Manitoba, Northern Manitoba, I guess you can say, you can say, and, um, and then my, I, myself growing up in Brandon and, um, it, they're, they're two guys that I can look up to and realize, you know, they're, you can, you can do it. You know what I mean? And then you can go through certain things and obviously not their paths, but you know, I have my own path and that, you know, eventually I'll work through it and get through it. And, and, uh, if I want to play in the NHL, um, you just got to work hard at it and, you know, keep on, uh, that good road as a lot of people like to say. So. I remember doing, uh, Zach, I remember your, the year in Verdon where you and I worked together, I remember doing the year-end awards and emailing the parents and saying, do you have any pictures of you know your sons in a younger day? And your mom sent a couple. And my favorite one, and I think you might remember this, it's Jordan Tutu in the Wee King dressing room before it was renovated to be all nice. And it must have been a skate with the Wee Kings or something, and you're sitting on his shoulders like a piggyback. You must have been like maybe seven or eight years old. And you were just sitting there and you had this big smile on your face. Like, this is my guy and I'm a big fan. And you just were on cloud nine in that picture. And for whatever reason, I've always thought that it's too bad that you guys couldn't have overlapped at your pro career. Obviously he's a little bit older than you, but um, your hat, we got to touch on that. Dan mentioned it earlier, (laughs) Ryan Reeves. He stood me up for this show tonight. I wanted him on here with you too, Uh but I sent him a message on Twitter from the team account the Brandon Weekings account. And I said, Hey, Ryan, I, I know that you're probably busy, <laughs> which is, uh, we all know that's a lie. Nobody's doing anything right now. 
and he iced me. He never replied. And then you come oh. on wearing a seven five brewing hat, which is his company. That's that's some free advertising that I'm not okay with right now. We got to get uh, him on. He, apparently, he's getting it anyhow. Yeah, I, I'm sure he's got an important marketing meeting, Brandon. I mean, he's got to <laughs> design more hats like that, or come up with some new flavors. I'm a, I'm a fan, and I'm not saying that because I know Ryan. I actually really enjoy uh, some of what he's been putting out there. Yeah, maybe, Zach, you can uh, you can send him a message, guilt him a little bit, and uh, maybe get a couple of hats or a couple of cases of 7-5 Brewing smuggled up over the border here. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can take it up with yourself. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah. you know what? Yeah, yeah, no. I grew up watching Ryan Reeves beating guys up while I was playing mini sticks along the glass. That's, that's not where I want to take that by any means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I got it. Like, You'll gladly stay on the other side of the glass for that one, hey? 100%. (laughs) I got to tell you, it's still one of the great moments in in Golden Knights history for Ryan Reeves to score the conference-clinching goal against the Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg. You know, he he was just getting into the lineup. He had just gotten played his first Golden Knights playoff games several days earlier against the Sharks because Will Carrier got hurt. But for him to, you know... Just incredible that the Golden Knights did what they did in that first season. And uh, Ryan was still trying to find his place, his identity on a new team at that point. And then he scores one of the biggest goals in franchise history, and it's in his hometown. I mean, he's done a lot of great things for the Knights in the couple of years since then. But how that moment for him doesn't go down to one of his greatest ever, uh, that is just like you can't make it up, right? If you were to send that script to Hollywood, they'd turn you away. And, And Ryan made it happen. Yeah, I mean, speaking of good things for the organization, that I was going to bring it up earlier, but going back to, you know, Dan and his broadcasting team and everyone that kind of, you know, puts in work to make those shows happen. And obviously guys like Dan who, you know, bring um, the excitement and energy to people listening through the radio or watching on TV. Um, you know, that's one of the biggest things. And that's one of the questions, you know, that I, they're the feeling that I got from my interview with George and Kelly is that, you know, you can be a, you can be a good employee. You can be, a good hockey player. Um, but if you're not a good person, then, um, you're, you're, you're not doing, you're not helping much. You know what I mean? So, um, I think that's one of the biggest, and Dan, you can probably attest to it is, you know, everyone in this organization is a very good person and, you know, they're a joy to be around. They're always happy. And, you know, they're always, you know, complimenting each other, whether it's in the work environment or for us on the ice and practice in the video room, whatever it is. Um, you know, you got good people everywhere. And, and that's one of the vibes that I got from, you know, our meetings is that, um, you know, you can be a great hockey player, but if you're not a good person, then, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't the place, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, that's I, what I, I, you know, that's what I, pride, sorry, Dan, I, that's what I pride myself on is, um, you know, if I can be a good person first, a good person in the community here in Vegas and any of that was the way, same way in Chicago is, you know, if I can treat people off the ice at, you know, away from the team and obviously my teammates, my coaches, you know, the scouts, um, the general manager, the ownership, um, you know, then I can go and play hockey freely. And, um, you know, if you're not being a good person, then you're not, uh, you're not helping much. Yeah. And I, you're, you're so right, Zach. And I, I, it's, it's just, you pinch yourself sometimes to think that you're part of this, this really neat group of people, but it does go back to, 
um, just being kind and being humble. Um, humility will take you a long way in this business. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to the different people that you, you come across and, you know, you can be extremely competitive. You can be extremely ambitious, but you can also be kind, uh, whether it's, um, you know, rubbing shoulders with uh, Kelly McCrimmon or Marc-Andre Fleury or Kenny, who operates the elevator at T-Mobile Arena. You know, like you could be kind to all these these people. It, it, it doesn't matter what your role is with the organization. That's just part of being a good person. And, and I think, Zach, you know, it was interesting hearing you guys talk about, you know, billet families. And, um, you know, for me, it, they don't call it billet families in the Cape Cod Baseball League. They just call them host families. But I think of the host family that I lived with. Um, when I was broadcasting baseball there in Cape Cod during my college years, and I am still part of the family. I mean, that, that's a relationship that wasn't just for a couple of summers. Those are things that last a lifetime. And I still go back and coach some student broadcasters there in the off season for hockey. And I think it, it just reminds you of your roots. And boy, if you could talk to your you know, well, I'm 35 now, but if you could talk to your, you know, 25 year old self or your 15 year old self and think, boy, this is what you're going to get to do uh, to, to remember where you've come from, the people you talked about this earlier, is that the people who helped get you there that uh, went out of their way, whether it's family members or billet family, and, um, you know, the, the mentors, coaches, uh, teammates, who, you know, colleagues, whoever it might be. Um, you know, we hear that phrase, a self-made man or a self-made woman. I'm not sure that there's ever really uh, such a thing. We're all a product of the people who've helped us. And, and sometimes you learn things from people who were not good to you. And you learn, hey, you know, I don't want to be thought of in that way. Because we're all a product of our experiences. But I think that so much of that being a kind person and remembering your roots, uh, I think that, uh, you know, you talk about characters, Zach, I think that that stuff goes a long way. And uh, to go back to the host family, I mean, Crozy knows, you know, my billet family in Verdon where I played junior. And yeah. I, Great people. Yeah. And I, you know, I talk to her like I talk to my own mom. You know what I mean? I go to her with problems. You know, I, I go to the both of them. And, you know, my billet dad, I still, you know, talk to him like he's my father. And um, and then funny enough, I, I got to know. And I think, Crow, you know the scarves, don't you? Yep. Yeah. Chad and uh, what's what's his wife? Chad and, Chad and Rita. Rita, Rita. Yeah, so um, Chad and Rita, the Scarfs, uh, as they're well known for, um, own a cattle ranch just south of, uh, southeast of Burden. Um, and they gave me my first ever uh, job in, in junior hockey. And, you know, we had, we, we didn't play too much during the league. Like we played the odd Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, but usually one game a week and then on weekends. And so I'd work during the week. I'd go, I'd get up. Um, you know, seven o'clock, go skate, uh, get out of there by 11, 12 o'clock, go eat lunch, then go out to work for the afternoon. Um, and that's a family that I like my billet families. I, I call them mom and dad. They're, they're like my parents. And, um, yeah, I didn't spend as much time with them as I did with my, you know, original billet family, but they're, uh, they're people that I call family and, you know, Rita and Chatter. Yeah, I call, I try to call them at least once a week and just keep up. And, you know, they have two kids, Kate and Danica and, um, both heavily involved in sports and, uh, you know, it's two kids and a, a family that I love very much and spent a lot of time out there, stayed out there after work and, um, you know, helped with homework and, and things like that. And just got to know them really well. And, and, um, again, with your host families, like it's, you're a part of the family yeah. and it doesn't happen like that all the time. 
Um, oh, there's there's you know, some there's some scary stories, but there's more good stories than there are bad ones. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the relationships I built and and created and just kind of you know still have an inverted makes me you know cherish my time there because. I, without those two families and obviously my parents and everyone else that, you know, went into helping me get, you know, through those, those, uh, levels, um, you know, I wouldn't be here without them. And, um, you know, I still, when I go out in the summer, when I go home in the summer, I always go out and I try to, you know, work on the farm a few times and, and go out and hang out with the kids and, and, uh, you know, just sit down and have a, have a drink or whatever, and just hang out and uh, kind of reminisce about the days in Verdon and, uh, you know, me helping out with homework and, um, it's just, it brings back good memories because I, I didn't have, I only had one family going into that. And then I came out with two, I came out with three families and, um, you know, they're two, they're, they're families that I love very much. And, and ones that I attribute a lot of my success to because they helped me. Um, I think without that job and that's something I want to do after hockey too, is, is kind of have my own cattle ranch at some point. And that all stems from, you know, Chad and Rita kind of putting me to work out there and kind of teaching me, um, you know, the farm life and, and how, you know, hard those people work. Cause I mean, Chad gets up on Christmas day and he goes out and feeds cows and he doesn't take a day off and he has an, a, a, um, a nine to five job as well, Monday through Friday. And on top of that, the ranch. So, um, they taught me a lot about hard work and, uh, um, kind of being a big brother to Kate and Danica. And, um, again, I grew up without siblings, so it was, it was kind of cool to, you know, have, uh, be a part of that family and, um, you know, be able to hang out there, you know, whenever I wanted. And, uh, again, it's two families that helped me get through a lot in my, my days in birth. Well, Zach, outside this window right here, I've got, uh, a bit of room that needs some fencing. I got some cows <laughs> coming over here June 1st. So if you can be on a flight, Chad and, and Rita don't live far down the road, but just come finish the fencing here. And there's a few ma- bales that need to be moved and then you can go help them. Uh, Chad put me through some fencing actually, uh, one, uh, I think it was two summers ago when I came back from college and he sent me out to do, um, one of their, uh, pasture fields. And there was this, uh, like little swampy part. And he said, yeah, just ride fence and see whatever needs to be fixing. Of course, the one that needed to be fixed was right through a beehive and <laughs> it was right through the bush, right in the swamp. I got it done. Every but time, I, I, every I time came out, I came out on the, on the bad end of that one. Um, but it kind of made for a funny story. And, uh, Chad was like, man, you didn't have to do that. You know, I wouldn't have done it. And I was like, well, you asked me, so I did it, you know? So they, uh, well, I've got, I do, I do charge by up the against yard, the shed. So no, I do yeah. charge by the yard though. <laughs> <laughs> the, the hammers in the shed, the fence posts are leaning up against the back. So just whenever, whenever you get a chance, I'll drop by whenever. Yeah. So while Crow tries to get free labor out of Zach there, Dan, I want to ask you a question. Uh, so we heard about like Zach's history with the Wheat Kings. How about uh, you? I mean, you're on the East Coast. Have you heard about the Wheat Kings? Like, I mean, obviously you have before going, I would assume, to Vegas. But what was your first exposure? What do you remember of the team? Is there a famous player that you remember hearing about? Or what was your first recollection? Ooh, that's interesting. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, growing up in New Jersey, um, it's such a pro sports neck of the woods. You know, you think about, you got three NHL teams, Devils, Rangers, Islanders, you've got two NBA teams, the Nets and the Knicks, the Yankees and Mets, the Jets and the Giants. So minor league sports, college sports, and certainly junior level sports hardly enters the picture when you're a kid. 
But then as you kind of get into, you know, the higher levels, you know, yourself as a teenager in high school and to, you know, my high school hockey team, we had some pretty good players. I didn't play on the team. I broadcast the games. But you were aware <laughs> of, you know, the, the, the talented players who were looking at, you know, different junior leagues. Now, nobody was going to the WHL from, from New Jersey, but then the other guys that were thinking about going the collegiate route. So I, I knew guys who played college hockey. And then once, you know, I was in college, I broadcast junior games for a team called the Syracuse Stars. And that was when I became more aware of not only the the importance of junior hockey, but kind of the you know the the three main junior leagues uh, in the WHL, the OHL, the Quebec Major Junior League, and the Syracuse Stars were in the Empire League. They were not they were not one of the top tier teams even <laughs> the, in the United States. But um, you know, like the Sestinos had played for the Syracuse Stars and some other guys that did eventually move up. So I was aware of that history. And then when you kind of get a feel for okay, here are some names that I know, and here's their path, then you become more familiar with the different levels of junior hockey. So I I would say that I I don't know that I could tell you the first Brandon Wheat King I was keenly aware of or even which one I first met, but uh, that's, I'm sure it was around that point in time where I would have come to know, you know, okay, this guy played for the London Knights. This guy played for the Brandon Wheat Kings. And, you know, we're talking probably 2004, 2005. So if you, you know, had some names, you know, to rattle off from maybe 20 well, years ago. Ray Ferraro. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, Ray, yeah. Ray sure. Ferraro scored 100 and – what was it? We talked about this last week. 108 goals. How can you possibly forget that uh, number now after a conversation? Yeah. With, because with, Darren with, Drager with always Drake's. jokes that it was 109 or 170. It's never serious <laughs> with those two guys. Yeah, so – so that's and then you know when you start going into the professional ranks and in the uh, in the ECHO with the Trenton Devils remember this is a Lou Lamarillo organization so you had a number of guys who had gone the college route we had Boston College guys Providence College Brown and and so on but there was that group the the college guys but then there were you know the, the junior guys and then within that we're okay. Here are the guys who are the, the Quebec guys, right? The Franklin files. And then, you know, here are the guys from the West. And so you kind of got a better understanding of that because now all of a sudden it wasn't just a name on a list. These were guys who actually played in those junior leagues. And then the college guys, the junior guys would have at it. That was fun. And, and most of the players in the ECHL were not going to be moving up to the NHL. Uh, I think Pierre-Luc Letourneau LeBlanc was the one guy who made it from the, the Trenton Devils up to the New Jersey Devils uh, for any uh, significant period of time. But uh, so I, I, I would I, my years kind of blur together. But I will tell you for sure, upon arriving in Las Vegas, um, you know, it was uh, very much Brandon South <laughs> with the number <laughs> of Wheat King connections here. And, and you mentioned some of the names earlier, but, it, you know, of course, Kelly McCrimmon is is the, the big name, um, you know, when it comes to the, the front office. But you just go down the list of, you know, maybe this guy was, was there or this guy played there or he coached there. Or it's, it's just amazing to see. And I, I can remember kind of, um, you know, in one conversation, you know, early on. So I, again, I, I'm coming from the devil's, uh, you know, origins and Vince Williams was a golden Knight scout still is. And he was an assistant coach in Trenton when I was there. Uh, David Conti, longtime Devils employee and has since joined Lou Lamarillo with the Islanders, but 
But uh, Mr. Conti, Mr. Williams, and Mr. Duva were sitting there talking about the old devil's days and then looking around and seeing all these branded wheat cakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, you kind of, you know, of course, we were all working together, but you always think about your roots and where you've come from, uh, as we talked about earlier. And so you're intrigued by, wow, that's got to be a, a, something pretty special that they've, they've built there in Brandon. And I know a lot of stories, but I, I have yet to visit Brandon, Manitoba. So I'll have to put that uh, that destination on my list for for some time in the future. Well, I think I, I would be probably pretty accurate in saying that Brandon, Manitoba is probably the only city in Manitoba that has a nine foot inflatable chance the mascot Christmas <laughs> decoration because Dana, the office in Vegas, the office executive with the Wheat Kings had to buy one from the armory or uh, the store in Vegas and set it up. It was too cold to set up outside, so she had it set up in her living room, a nine-foot <laughs> glow-in-the-dark Christmas decoration. Wow. The, the amount Man, of unique Vegas yeah. items around the weekend <laughs> office is getting out of control with those girls. <laughs> Can we acknowledge the fact that Crow just said one of the biggest cities when there's only two cities in Manitoba? <laughs> yeah, you're right, Zach. Winnipeg is either. You're throwing shade at Portage and Dauphin now? They don't count? Yeah. Uh-oh. You're knocking Portage and Dauphin. Um, <laughs> as we get close to, to wrapping this up, obviously the big question uh, that we have to ask you guys, and it's, it's kind of different for both of you. I know, Dan, you've stayed busy doing podcasts, interviews, videos, and, and content for Vegas, and Zach's been swinging the golf club and not really been able to get on the ice. If I were to ask you, Zach, I know you're going to give me a political answer, but do you want the season to continue right now, or is it – has it gone too far to the point where it's going to take you some time to get back into it? What are your thoughts on finishing the season instead of maybe just looking ahead to next year? What are your thoughts on this whole pandemic thing? Well, when you ask what I want, I just want to play hockey. Um, I want to play for the fans here in Vegas. You know what I mean? And obviously whether there is fans or there isn't, um, it's all spe- like everyone, everyone has their own opinion, right? And it's all speculation until, you know, a certain, plan comes out or, or what, whatever, um, is kind of brought up about it. Um, but yeah, I, I want to play hockey and I want to play for our fans and I want to do well for our fans. We want to do well for our fans. And, um, as for getting back into it, I think you guys just, you know, you got to look after your body. You got to try and find different, uh, creative ways to stay in shape and, uh, um, just be ready for all scenarios. I mean, that's, that's all you can kind of do right now. Dan, what are are your thoughts? I I follow up with that. And the the thing that just kind of blows my mind is how uh, with all the sports trying to get back into game shape, how hockey players have this added element of ice. And I'm sure Zach, you know, can speak to this more directly. You you can't train properly unless you have ice. Um, It's not quite the same. Whereas basketball player, football player, baseball player, et cetera, you can get in the gym and relatively approximate what you need to do to get ready for a season. Um, but a hockey player simply can't do that without being on the ice, no matter what you do in a gym. Um, yeah, I, I, I would like to get out there. I mean, I, <laughs> I'd like to get on the ice myself. That'll burn some calories from all the ice cream. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I am optimistic as well. And I can understand some, some players who are on teams that are uh, long since out of the playoff picture that are, don't see the value in getting ramped up again, play a handful of games and, you know, not really have a shot at, at going very far. Of course, 
you know, the Golden Knights, let's be honest, the Golden Knights are in first place. Golden Knights are in very good position to make a long playoff run, um, especially with uh, the time that we've had since the last game. The guys who might have been out with injuries like Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone and Alex Tuck. Pete DeBoer told us a couple of weeks ago, those guys are all 100% now. And that would be the case with other teams too. But you see where I'm going. So, I, again, you, you read the latest, and, and Gary Bettman, I think, has been very good at talking about the integrity of awarding a Stanley Cup and, and not wanting to turn it into a gimmick. They want to do this the right way while also not impacting next season. They want to play a full 82 games next year. How far can they push back this season? Then, of course, you know, you've got the economic concerns, the health concerns, and, you know, people of a higher pay grade are, are in charge of those things, not me. But speaking as a, as a journalist, a broadcaster, and a hockey fan, I think that what Vegas did for the people of this community a few years ago when they launched the franchise and then how they helped the franchise come together in, in the face of the October 1 shooting, it is such a powerful, emotional, bonding thing to have a sports team to rally a community. And that's the case in Vegas and many other places uh, around North America. So I, I know that the competitiveness of the athlete, like, of course, Zach said a moment ago, uh, wants to get out there and, and play hockey and win hockey games and go far in the playoffs. Uh, and sports fans of all stripes just want to see live games again. As much as I enjoy going into the archives and watching documentaries, I want new sports to watch. I want new stories to tell. So um, if it's uh, July or or whatever the the format is, uh, I'm optimistic that they will find a way to get going again. And for the Golden Knights to be part of it, I'm even more excited. I might feel differently if they were, you know, a last place team, of course. Right. But uh, they're not. (laughs) So I don't have to worry about that. I'm looking forward to a, a terrific talented Golden Knights team going out there and the people will watch and will listen even if they can't be in the building you know only 17 18,000 people would fit in T-Mobile Arena for a game but there are over 2.3 million people who live in Las Vegas not to mention all those fans in Brandon and around North America who would be tuned in as well I think another thing you uh a lot of uh I think everyone has to look at is it's the same scenario for everyone yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's it's not as if you know some guys get ice and the other guys don't. Obviously, you right. have your injured reserve, your injured reserve players that you know do get to rehab and things like that. Um, but you know it's it's the same situation for a lot of teams. And um, so I mean, coming back is going to be different for everyone, and and uh, everyone's going to have to work their way back in. And and that's that's assuming the the season does come back, or if it doesn't, then uh, what have you. But. Um, at the end of the day, it's the same situation for a lot of guys. You got to, you know, find different ways and be creative and just try and keep your, uh, your mind and your body right and um, keep it sharp and uh, just kind of be ready for all scenarios. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, Chris, you got anything else? Number one Netflix binge that you guys have been going to. Oh yeah. Great question. Number one Netflix binge. Danny, you need some time? (laughs) Go ahead, Zach. I've got a few in mind, but go ahead. Okay. Well, it's not Netflix. I uh, I watched Game of Thrones. Oh, that's I was ex- right. yeah, yeah. That's I wasn't expecting this. That. Was that's uh, a good so I started this at the start of quarantine. So this when was that? How long have we been in here for? Two months? Middle well, of March. More than two it? months. Yeah, it was yeah, like it was, the uh, uh, March, March eleventh. So yeah, but almost there. Almost two months. I went through Game of Thrones in a little under two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah. Did you sleep and eat during this period of time as well? 
Well, I took a nap on the couch for about 20 minutes and then kept watching. But <laughs> Skip the dishes right to that wow. window beside him. They just drove by and dropped off his dinner right through that open window. Yeah, there put it go. through the doggy door so I can just grab it. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, you know, I, I tell you that um, I, I mentioned earlier documentaries and anything that Ken Burns puts out is just terrific. So I've watched uh, a number of those and, and some are, you know, one part or two parts and um, some are, um, some are, you know, 10 parts and obviously you have the, the last dance with Michael Jordan enjoyed watching that. Um, but, um, you know, just the Ken Burns 10 part piece on baseball. Um, I actually just recently got into the, uh, Ken Burns documentary that I think it's also 10 parts about the Vietnam war. There's the, the country music, uh, documentary that he did. Fantastic. The, about the one about the Roosevelt's. I could go on and on listing all of Ken Burns documentaries. I have watched the Civil War documentary many times, uh, voiced by David McCullough, who happens to be my favorite author. But uh, Ken Burns is good. But, you know, the, the other thing is, like, you kind of can get tired of some of this um, serial type television that they put out now where, like, you know, 24 of the TV show is one hour and then one hour. And you, you can't really get into it in the middle. You've got to watch the whole thing. So once in a while, I'll enjoy go go back and, you know, pick up a show from... 20, 30 years ago where it was just one neat, happy episode and that's it. And uh, so I, uh, you know, what show I watched a few episodes of uh, last week was uh, Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> murder, She Wrote, right? You know, Angela Lansbury, which is it's great. It's this murder mystery in this nice little village of Cabot Cove, Maine. And, you know, then people get killed and Angela Lansbury solves the murder. It's fantastic. Uh, so that's good. And then I also have to say that they're, to me, two of the best TV series ever, The Sopranos and The West Wing. And you can dive into those in the middle at the end uh, or at the start and uh, just great shows. So I, I've kind of mixed it around as to not get too consumed by one <laughs> one particular program. I've been is- getting the gears because I posted on Twitter the other day that my wife and I are on season six now of Roseanne, which oh, yeah, to me, I, I was yeah. a little bit out of that age range. Like I remember my parents watching it, but I don't really ever remember watching it. And I have never laughed out loud oh, yeah. at a TV Thanks, show yeah. like I have Roseanne. But everybody on Twitter told me I was nuts and that it's not actually a good show. But I, I think oh, they're wrong. On. I think it's a top 10 sitcom by far. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not cheers, but it's still really yeah. good. It, fantastic. Paul, what well, about you? Yeah, what's yours, Chris? Uh, you know what? I still got to get stuck on The Office. It's kind of hard to get oh, past it. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is always a really good one, too, as of late. Um, I, I signed up for Amazon Prime a while ago to take advantage of the Amazon deals, and then I forgot to unsubscribe. Um, so then I thought, well, I might as well see what's on the video service. So I got hooked. I've never seen an episode of Hell's Kitchen, and there's 17 seasons. So Zach, this, this, <laughs> oh, might, this might put Game of Thrones to shame. I've gone through all 17 seasons since this quarantine has begun. But it's been like background noise, right? Like I just kind of put it on and yeah. it's kind of there throughout the day. But yeah, Hell's Kitchen, a lot of Gordon Ramsay. So a lot of cooking then as well I've been doing to help pass the time. Well, here, I've got a deal then. Chris and I will come to Vegas. The four of us will go eat at Chef Ramsay's restaurant. And then when you guys get some free time, you guys come to Brandon. We'll take you to Joe Beaver's and you guys can have a nice big <laughs> poot- nice big poutine, Dan. Zach knows what I'm talking about. We just had that that's, last night and actually in this house. We had Joe Beaver's poutine in this house. It's a, it's a Brandon Ooh, staple. Yeah. Yeah, and what also my, uh, what am I? Oh, sorry, I was, I was going to say, Zach, a heads up. Uh, according to Aaron, who's on Wikipedia, Manitoba has ten cities, so we shouldn't go <laughs> slagging that we've only got two. Apparently, we actually have ten, so we 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 we, we missed a whole bunch. But anyway. 
Oh, you didn't miss any. I apparently I not was even the one. Manitoba. um i was gonna say that uh when you look at um the uh the poutine situation so uh my wife's friend is brooks broughton who you may know dan he's a social media guy for the nashville predators uh and he came up for a visit uh last summer and we took him to joe beavers and he we told him to order the famous poutine and he's an american from pittsburgh and when it sat down on the plate in front of him, it's a brick, like a log of French fries and gravy and whatever else, the buffalo chicken wings on it. It was well. Don't they just dump it out of the fryer? Like it's yeah, it's the wow. same shape as the basket from it's, yeah, like it comes in the, the whole idea, guys. It's Joe Beaver, so it's like a beaver dam, right? It looks like a dam, so it's like a beaver dam on the plate. And yeah, all the fries are not all loose; they're all kind of like cooked together. He wouldn't but. touch it until he took a picture and sent it to everyone he knew in Nashville and said, "Look at what I'm about to eat right now." So That's it was life changing for him. So That's we'll, we'll make sure we can it? get you one day. I I don't know if he finished it. He's kind of a he's kind of a slight little fellow that likes salads and doesn't like carbs. So he was a little offended by how. Mm. Much carbs were on this plate. Oh, so not like you and I, eh? No, no, no. <laughs> that thing wouldn't have stood a chance. Uh, fellas, this was awesome. Uh, try and stay safe uh, and, and best of luck whenever you get going. Uh, Zach, I, I expect you to, to reach out to Ryan and, and, you know, try and get us a couple of hats at least for him icing us on Twitter and, and let us know how that goes. Hey, I'm going to let him know Brandon Crow and I'm going to give him your address and he's got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> please do please do i'll do the play-by-play of the aftermath okay there you go all right guys thank you chris thank you brandon this is great no thanks again guys we we, we really do appreciate it we'll talk to you guys again soon hopefully yeah thanks for having us on guys appreciate all right here we go we're not here's the awkward part as we say goodbye to everybody oh uh, there's one oh zach's still here he wants to linger why zach i'll hang on for a bit i'll hang on for a bit (laughs) gonna hang on there we're gonna remove you yeah I'll, I'll hang on i got nothing else to do huh? okay well, i feel bad for, for dan extra. now we just said goodbye to dan and now zach's gonna hang on <laughs> uh right. so the plan for next week chris we usually this is usually where we tee it up um well maybe maybe at this point ryan reeves will have showed up at my door and i can convince him <laughs> to jump on live yeah. uh but uh no the the plan is for next week is to reach out uh uh, to both uh, Travis Sanheim and Ivan Provorov and do a little Philadelphia Flyer look. Obviously, Sanheim didn't play for Brandon, but uh, he's an Elkhorn kid and, and uh, Western Manitoba kid similar to, to Zach. And, of course, uh, Provy, uh, one of the best defensemen to roll through the Wheat Kings organization. So uh, just ironing that out this week, and uh, we'll have more details on that as we head into the weekend. Uh, if you're watching this live, if you're one of the viewers, as always, really do appreciate it. But if you're listening on the Trishnal Pie podcast means, uh, of course, appreciate that as well. Uh, next episode will be live next Monday at 8 o'clock, and again, uh, available that following Tuesday beginning at noon at qcountryfm.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks for tuning on in tonight. Any final words from you guys? Zach, you're here for it. Any final word? You got to say hi to your mom. Is Donna, is Donna listening somewhere? Uh, yeah, probably. Hi mom. Hi dad. Uh, <laughs> from Vegas. Uh, hopefully you figure her out by the, uh, end of the hour. If not, then too bad. Yeah. Donna, if you had trouble with the technical side of things, just send me a text and I'll, I'll walk you through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's going to be so mad at you, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next week. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.